I'm delighted to have the opportunity to be here again today. I don't want to focus too much attention on that. I want to quickly draw attention to the story I brought with me today. You'll find it in Mark chapter 4. And in this story, it's filled with storms. And in the story, it reveals Jesus' ability to handle and solve natural disasters. Now, it dawned on me on the way up here today, I thought, wow, the people in Texas today could have used Jesus' miraculous presence with that hurricane coming ashore this weekend. Because that's the setting in which we find Jesus today. And one of the reasons I chose this particular story is because three months ago when I was here, I talked about Jesus and his ability to solve, to heal a horrible disease of a particular man who faced it and he was excluded from the society in which he lived. Now, some of the people around him that day looked at that particular incident and they were somewhat skeptical. Go, well, you know, maybe he was going to get better anyway or whatever. The second time I came, a couple months ago, I talked about Jesus' ability to bring somebody back from the dead. His name was Lazarus. And I suppose in that setting, too, just like maybe some of us in here today, look at that, and you're a bit skeptical about that. You go, well, maybe he was just in a coma. You know, maybe he was asleep. Maybe he'd been out for two, three days. So I decided to bring this particular story today because in this particular story, you've got natural elements like a hurricane. And Jesus demonstrates that he's in control of that. And when you think about it, I don't know if there's any way that you could argue against that. I don't know that you could look at that, be involved with that, and somehow or another go, well, you know, I I don't know if I believe that. Well, the people in this story, they knew. And hopefully today, I hope the teaching of this particular story helps you know. So if you're not in a, a, a depth, of of a journey of faith with Jesus, if you don't have a quality of faith with Jesus, maybe we can improve that today because of what we find in this particular story. Now, here's the context of this story. It happens on the Sea of Galilee. If you're not familiar with that, it's about 60 miles north of the city of Jerusalem. Probably you've heard about that. I kind of hope that you know geographically where you'll find that. But about 60 miles north of that, here's this body of water. It's infamous. It's about 12 miles long, about 7 miles wide. So it's not like Lake Michigan. But some of the storms that come to this lake are a whole lot like Lake Michigan. And some of the huge storms that come to that lake, just like the hurricane that came to Texas today. And so here in this situation, we find that Jesus has come to the end of an extremely busy day. I mean, his schedule has been arduous very demanding schedule in which he's been teaching again and again and again about numerous parables and spiritual truths and trying to help people get in a rhythm of faith with him. And in that context, he's also had to deal with all kinds of critics. I mean, one person after another just threw accusations at him. And if you've had those people just throw criticism at you over and over and over again, you know how demanding emotionally that can be. And that's where we find Jesus. And so at the end of this arduous schedule, 
He turns to his disciples, those that are really close to him, and listen to what he says. Mark 4, verse 35. Let's go over to the other side of the lake. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. Let me stop there for a moment. Don't you find that phrase interesting? They took him just as he was along. What's that mean? I'm not sure I know what that means, but I'm sure, at least in part, it means he's exhausted. And they took him just as he was. Interesting thing for us, anytime you engage a journey of faith with Jesus, he'll take you just like you are. You don't have to clean it up. Just go like you are. And he takes you like you are, and he changes you into what he wants you to be. So here are these guys. So they get in a boat, and there were several boats that went with them. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it nearly swamped them. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. And the disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. There are some great parts to this story that we want to examine today. Now, obviously, we want to learn something about Jesus, but we also want to learn something about ourselves today, especially relative to the circumstances we find ourselves in periodically. So when you begin looking through this story, the first thing I want you to notice is that the circumstances that they're facing in the midst of the storm are out of control. Now, notice there are about 12 guys in a couple boats, and they're in, in, they're in the middle of this body of water. Some 50, 57,000-acre body of water, and they get caught in one of the infamous storms that come to the Sea of Galilee. The boat they were in was probably just a typical fishing boat of that particular day, not, not like fishing boats today. I mean, obviously, no motors or anything like that on them. So this boat was probably 26 feet long. It might have been seven feet wide, about four feet deep, but no pleasure craft. So here they were, no life preservers, no radar, no ship-to-shore radios, no, no iPhone with GPS, nobody to call, no way to call, and they're out in the middle of the water, and suddenly this storm shows up. Now, in verse 37, I read this particular version of the scripture because it uses these two words, a furious squall. And the Greek word that Mark chooses here describes that this storm is like hurricane force. So it's not like a little bit of wind, you know, 30 mile an hour wind, and we got some a torrential downpour. We're talking about a hurricane force storm. And these guys are in the middle of it. Now, if you go to Matthew's account, which he reveals this same story. In Matthew's account, he uses this Greek word to describe the storm, seismos, from which we get the English words seismic or seismograph. 
Now, what kind of a picture does that describe for you? I mean, here is this huge storm that is so violent that it shook the water in this lake, just like if you had a glass of water and you're trying to run up the steps or run down the steps and hold it and not spill it. Well, it'd be water everywhere, right? And that's what's happening in this storm. Now, think about the people in this boat, because we know that at least three of them in this boat had great skill with a vessel like this. Peter, James, and John. Fishermen. They had great skill with this boat. However, verse 38 indicates that this situation, even for people with that kind of skill, this situation is hopeless. There is mass hysteria here. The significant observation by Mark indicates it's mass hysteria. You know why? Because these veteran fishermen had spent their entire career navigating boats on the Sea of Galilee, and often they faced storms like this one. Now, maybe never to the, to the scope of this one, never to the size of this one, but the fact of the matter is they knew what it was like to try to handle a boat in the middle of a storm. Were they tired? Probably, just like Jesus, except he was asleep and they weren't. And they're in the midst of this thing, and verse 38 says, they have come to the end of their rope, so to speak, and they go wake Jesus up, and they say to him, hey man, don't you know we're about to drown here? All right, now process this for a moment. When veterans of the sea scream SOS, that's hopeless. So they go and they shake Jesus awake and he rouses to consciousness and his first observation is to see these deer in the headlights look. I mean, they're paralyzed with panic. This small group that he spent a whole lot of time with are at the end of their rope. They think they are going down. And they accused him of not caring. I mean, they're screaming at him. Do you not even care that we're about to drown here? And there seems to be an indication when they scream at him, they're screaming at him with disrespect. They're screaming at him with irreverence. So think about some time when you in, you're in the middle of a situation that feels hopeless. Haven't you just want to scream out to him? Maybe you did. You just scream out to him, and you say to him something like this, don't you care where I am? They did. Now maybe, just maybe, God has got them in this spot of absolute desperation so that he can get their attention. That's possible. Maybe he's got them in this spot because they need to learn some lessons. Maybe he's got them in this spot because they need to learn that they cannot control all human situations. Well, that's where they are. They are out of human solutions here. Now, I'd like to think when we read through this story that we find it encouraging to us that we're not the first people ever to be swamped by our circumstances. Have you thought about that as I've gone through this story? 
I mean, if you've read this story previously, have you ever read it and realized you have been in a situation like this and you desperately needed the Lord to respond to you and found that he did? Hopefully. But it's good to know that when we think our boat is sinking, there's hope in our relationship of faith with Jesus. Now, our boat of circumstances may be financial. Our boat of circumstances might be disobedient children. Maybe it's elderly parents who can't function alone. Maybe you're in the threat of a divorce. Maybe you're faced with a barrage of sexual temptation. Maybe you are in the midst of an illness and you know that you're running out of medications to resolve it. Maybe there are way too many decisions on your life and stress is beyond belief. So you feel like your boat of circumstances is going down. One of the reasons a lot of us like to read the book of Psalms is because we can find conversations there, prayers there, about a guy who found himself often in a sinking boat of circumstances. Now, some of those were by poor choice. Some of those circumstances were because of his sin. Some of those were circumstances that were outside of his control. Some of them because of his arrogance. Some of them enormous obstacles that suddenly placed themselves in the midst of his job. And you'll find in the book of Psalms that there are times in which David, that's the guy who wrote some of them, Many of the prayers of David are written by him in the book of Psalms, and in those situations, he screams at God. If you've ever screamed at him, please know it's okay. He understands where you are. It doesn't embarrass him. It doesn't hurt his feelings. If you scream at him, if you're honest with him, he handles your honesty. That's the beauty of this journey of faith that we have. And when you read through the book of Psalms, you find out that God, over time, helped David, and David learned that nothing falls outside of God's knowledge. Nothing falls out of God's ability to handle it. Nothing falls out of God's control to resolve it or bring it to serve some purpose. So one of the big lessons at this juncture of this story is that when We do life with God. There is never a time, there is never such a thing as hopeless. Ever. It may feel like it, but it's not. It's a beautiful, beautiful lesson out of the story. Now, having said that, let me take another step in this story that I want you to see. I think in this next part of the story, we gain some significant insight into a thing called obedience. My guess is you're a whole lot like me. I struggle with the whole obedient thing, don't you? I mean, I know I should. You know, when God calls me to be a person that loves other people, it's hard for me to do. If I need to be humble, hard for me to do. If I need to speak words of encouragement, sometimes I don't want to. So the whole obedience thing comes into play here. And so this is big for me, and I hope that you find some help here. Now, having said that as well, I don't know that I can do justice to explain this next part of the story. 
I've already shared with you that storms on the Sea of Galilee were sudden. They often came suddenly. And when you think about this storm, this thing generated multiplied millions of units of horsepower. Even when we say storms like this roll into the Galilean basin quickly, please know that it takes a few hours for them to reach their potential, just like this weekend when the hurricane made its way into Texas. I mean, we've been knowing for several days that it was coming. We could see it building up all the way when it hit the shore of Texas. So the people in this boat may have looked off at the mountains surrounding the Sea of Galilee, and maybe they could see that storm coming. Now, maybe it came a whole lot faster than this hurricane came. I mean, they didn't have any radar or anything to see it coming. They could just had a visual picture of it. And it showed up. And suddenly, it was bigger than they were anticipating. Maybe they thought, you know, we'll be able to ride it out. Maybe, in, you know, a couple hours it'll pass and it'll all be over. And suddenly, that wasn't the case. Now, something else to think about here. When storms like this one pass, there are lingering elements after they pass. For instance, it takes the water a period of time to calm down. When the, even when the wind stops, the waves in, the, in, in, in that body of water, it'll take them a while for them to calm down. I mean, I've seen that happen. I mean, after the storm passes, I mean, we got all the pickup and cleanup to do. And it takes a while to get all that done. I was thinking about the story this morning. I was listening to the news coming up here that there's all kinds of water floods, like unbelievable amount of water in the city of Houston. Okay? How long is it going to take for all that water to go away? Now, the point is, when you think about it, when Jesus says to this storm, stop it, it did not take time for that to calm down. When Jesus said, stop it, it was like throwing the switch in your family room. You come into the house and it's dark in there at night and you hit that switch and boom, there's light. In a fraction of a second, there's light. You get ready to go to bed, you hit that switch, boom, it's dark. With this storm and Jesus' involvement with this storm, in a fraction of a second, the wind stopped, the air cleared, the sun came out, and the water was like glass. Like, throw the switch. Massive hurricane, throw the switch. Now, some of you may, if you're following along in your Bible, you may be saying, how do you get that out of verse 39? In Mark 4, because verse 39 says the wind died down and it was completely calm. Well, when you go to Matthew's account of the same story, the same incident, it indicates in Matthew's account that it happened instantly. Instantly. And the nature of the words that Matthew uses indicates that calm was sudden. Calm was perfect. Nobody had ever seen calm like this. Nobody had ever seen it to the degree of this kind of perfection. When the people in that boat saw that happen, what was their reaction like? 
Jesus goes, stop it. I'm backing up on that. Now, we have the whole Bible to understand this was probably an easy thing for Jesus to do. I mean, after all, the Bible says that Jesus brought all the world into existence, fully shaped, fully operational, with a single word. Bam! It's all here. So stopping a storm should have been an easy thing. So when you stop to think about it, the one who has control over diseases, one that has control over death, also has control over every element of nature. So when he says to you, when he says to me, I can forgive your sin. I can raise people from the dead. I give you the promise of heaven. You can walk with me in faith and I promise you heaven. He demonstrates here he can deliver. That ought to do great things for our faith. On top of that, when I see this and understand how he controls all that stuff, and he says to this storm, stop it. If he says to me, do it, I ought to be quick to comply, right? He says, you need to be a loving person. I ought to comply without resistance. He goes, your life ought to be humble. I ought to comply without resistance. I ought to let him take control. I ought to have a response of awe to who he is and what he does and how he can do it in my life, just like the people in this boat did in verse 41. They, according to verse 41, were afraid with great fear. They weren't petrified of the storm anymore. They're suddenly petrified of the person who commanded nature's obedience and it spontaneously complied. Incredible. Just incredible. In Matthew's account, he uses a word to describe the internal activity of these guys as they witnessed Jesus' power. And the indicative makeup of the word he uses pictures them trying to comprehend the scope of the person that just spoke. Trying to comprehend how a single person in their boat can comprehend how his ability can oversee all the elements of nature. As explosive as those elements were, how can this person control all of that? And they can't comprehend that. That's why they're afraid. The storm is a little thing compared to the person that can control it. So here's one of the great things we learn out of this story at this point. God's essence, another word is God's majesty, we sometimes call it. When we see that on display, even a little piece of it, Can we comprehend that? I don't think so. When I read through this story, and the story says, Jesus said, stop it, and the hurricane quit in the fraction of a second, I I can't comprehend that. Can you? 
Can you fathom and calculate his greatness? I can't. Can you digest that kind of power? Can you grasp that kind of size? I can't. I don't think we can comprehend the nature of a person who lives and moves outside of the confines of creation and history. He isn't bound by any of that. He's not bound by time. He's not bound by the circumstances. He's not bound by any of that. I can't comprehend that. And at the same time I can't comprehend it, that very thing helps fuel my faith. That's what I find amazing here. That thing propels my hope. That thing incites my trust. The full nature of Jesus beyond our comprehension. But that's what makes him believable to me. And I hope it does for you too. Now further, I want you to note this. It's in Colossians chapter 1, verse verse 15. We look at Jesus and see the God who cannot be seen. Absolutely everything, everything got started in him and find its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence and he holds it all together right up to this moment. The sun, the moon, the stars, and all the planets are what they are They hold their position. They stay in their rightful orbits. They fulfill their design because Jesus controls them. And if he lets go, everything in life looks the way it looks. It functions the way it functions. It fulfills its design because Jesus controls it and if he lets go your human body my human body it's the according to the bible it's the greatest and most comprehensive piece of creation it operates the way it does because jesus thumbprint of design and control is on it and if he lets go That's the Jesus in whom we have faith. So when Jesus came and he healed diseases and he restored broken bodies, he gave us a taste of a time and a place where there would never be any more sickness. When he came and he controlled the elements of nature and nature obeyed him without argument like in this story today, He gave us a taste of a time and a place where there would be no devastation ever. And when he rose from the dead, he gave us a taste of a time and a place where there would never again be temptation. No sin. Never again will anybody die. So when Jesus promises us a new heaven and a new earth, all without the rottenness and decay of the current one, 
Jesus has the power to deliver what he promised. You think about that today for a few minutes as I close in prayer. Gracious God, thank you so much for this opportunity to look at this piece of your word to gain insight but more importantly to gain application. We all want to have a greater degree of faith in our journey with you. We all want to have a greater degree of understanding, a greater call to obedience. I would pray today that this story and its application will help with all of that as we journey by faith. In Jesus' name, amen.